Hey you, thank you so much for listening. No matter when you are listening, no matter where you are, get comfortable. Get yourself a cup of tea, a glass, or an entire bottle of wine. Maybe smoke a blunt, get under a blanket, grab yourself some popcorn, and enjoy this week's episode of The Slut Show with Ellen Moore. We're live. Oh my god, are we live? Are we live? I think for live. Due to the current situation in regards to COVID-19, instead of recording on location here in the Slut Show studio in Amsterdam, this episode is an Instagram live stream. Follow at the Slut Show with Alan Moore on Instagram to never miss out on any updates. And without further ado, enjoy this week's episode. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary beings, and everything and anyone in between, my name is Alan Moore and welcome to this very first live stream. Today I will be joined by um, a singer, a songwriter, she is a Black Lives Matter activist, she is queer, she is an absolute queen, she is a bombshell and a feminist powerhouse. I am talking about the one and only, hopefully she's going to be joining right now. Is she here? Is she here? Tia de Gans, give it up for her! (laughs) Hey! Wow, what an intro. That's a lot. A you lot look freaking fabulous. <laughs> well, you know, the slut show gave me an excuse to dress up. Exactly. So. We finally have a reason to look good again. Exactly. How are you? How are I'm you doing good. today? Great. Good to hear. So, um, even though it's a live stream, I still have a leader. So here we go. The Slut Show with Ellen Moore, the podcast slash talk show about shit you and I have to deal with on a daily basis. About feminism, insecurities, feeling like a bomb-ass bitch, and obviously about loads of sex. Enjoy your weekly dose of empowerment. Your weekly dose of empowerment. What is the most empowering thing you did recently? I stopped being afraid of my new sex toy and used it. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, tell me all about that. What toy did you get? I got a G-Spot vibrator. Oh, nice. Um, it's quite intimidating because um, obviously the one that I got was kind of like a beginner's one. Okay. So it's kind of like thin and then it has mm-hmm. like like a tulip bulb. At like, the yeah, right. <laughs> when I took it out of the box, I was kind of like, fuck. <laughs> and- um, but yeah, no, it was great. I got over it, lubed it up, had a great time. I think lube is underestimated in the situation that you're using, like something that has to go inside of your vagina and not just, uh, you know, air pressure on your clit or like something vibrating. I think lube is very important in that situation. And a lot of people sometimes forget that. Yeah, 100%. You're here for many reasons, obviously. Um, I already introduced you with a fabulous introduction <laughs> and um you're obviously black uh, like people can see and what is your personal experience with racism to get right in oh wow okay um i mean you said that i'm a, a black activist i personally wouldn't put myself in that category yet <laughs> okay um I would probably just say I'm tired. I'm a tired black woman who is somewhat privileged because I'm a lighter skinned black woman, but I'm I'm tired for, you know, everyone. Everyone who's black, any shade, any colour, family members. Um, obviously there's been a lot going on in America that kind mm-hmm. of triggered the re emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement because it kind of isn't the first time it's come about. 
Um, and I guess my experience of racism is <laughs> a that's a big question. Um, yeah, of course. I would probably say my earliest experience of racism was when I was about uh, year one. So it was probably about six or seven. So young. I was told that I wasn't, um, I wasn't white enough to play whatever game that was being played. And at the time, there were mixed race people in my school I think there was about two or three and, and myself mm-hmm. and even they got accepted to play the game and I couldn't and I remember going home and speaking to my parents about it and I'm, I'm really really fortunate because they always kind of spoke to me about anything that I would ask um, and anything that kind of arose but that was probably my earliest experience and, and from there it's never stopped um, whether it be in the workplace or uh, fetishized on on dating apps, um, microaggressions. I mean, I can honestly say that it's something that we all live with every day. The rest Uh, of your life. Yeah, 100%. And I think a lot of people need to understand that it's not just about the fact that we're tired. It's the fact that we're living these situations every single day. And that's why people are being so vocal about it now. Um, we just, it's what we live. So it's its something that does need to be tackled. It's something that infiltrates every single aspect of our lives, um, from education to housing to medical care. Um, so yeah, it's, that's a, it's a big topic. <laughs> mm-hmm, of course. For me personally, I, I cannot relate on that, but I think it's very important so from the get-go of, Anything I do in journalism, anything I do on any platform, it's important to um, talk about this, uh, this this topic, especially also being a white person, listening and uh, learning and educating myself. And um, I really envy you for um, the things you're doing. And I cannot imagine what it's like. So thank you for being here with me and giving your Uh, point of view and what it's like kind of Mm -hmm. Um, you already said just now that you also noticed that on dating apps for example it's also fetishization that happens what is that like um i mean for me currently where i live i live in southampton which is like on the south coast of england in a county called hampshire so it is predominantly white there are black people here from here um and who i've kind of encountered throughout university but it is predominantly white so i feel like when i'm on dating apps here um i'm very much a token um i think i described my first uh kind of fetishized experience within a gay club here was like feeling like a tourist attraction people kind of just come up to you and touch you and say things like hey big mama or you know um click their fingers um comment on your hair touch your hair and i guess on dating apps it's it's more so kind of oh well i've never i've never been with a black woman before um what does your vagina look like and i think it's just quite disheartening because it's like i'm on the app for the same reasons as everyone else to meet Mm. someone or to date or whatever it is at the time that i'm looking for Mm. and i feel that to kind of 
focus on one characterization of myself like i'm i'm more than my skin you know and um it's disheartening especially in this day and age where i feel that in theory because of all the activists that have come before us we shouldn't still be going through this but um yeah i i know that there are dating apps out there for black people but then as a black queer person it's a little bit more difficult um i think there's one app that i'm aware of that i can't remember the name um but there's an amazing amazing podcast called the tutus podcast which is okay. led um by two uh masculine presenting lesbians okay and to, that has been a saving grace for me in terms of having representation and knowing where to go you know to meet other black queer people and and kind of sharing our experiences as well um so yeah it's it's definitely been an interesting time um but it's it's a put off really because you just don't know it must be so tiring it is it's exhausting for real um so yeah i'm trying to stay open i'm currently not on apps at the moment though um tinder kind of always stays in the background but it's always there just not always looking (laughs) yeah i I feel you on that um i i can't imagine but thank you so much for sharing your story you're way more than just your skin 100 percent. you um are a very very talented artist your music is constantly in my head and i cannot get it out so that's a very good sign um what what do you do for people who don't know you what do you do and uh who are you um so i am 26 nearly 27 pisces gang um i am at the very very beginning of my career i would say music in terms of being an artist and singing and songwriting Mm -hmm. um so that's something that i pursue at the moment as a hobby but i would love for it to be full-time um my day job i actually work uh on an arts program um that supports children and young people in arts and culture um and yeah i guess i've got a slight entrepreneurial spirit um (laughs) i kind of totally uh, a food business last year it was like a trial period um and it's something that i'm definitely going to come back to um but yeah i guess that's me that's fantastic um honestly you're hustling so many different things at the same time it's so impressive to me um it's it's awesome it's awesome to look at you and see you glow and see you flourish because you're doing so many great things with everything um you already mentioned you're queer um can you take me into the process of what that was like coming out discovering your sexuality when you were younger yeah so it was definitely um a conflicting time for me uh i was raised in church and i would say um sorry i'm just looking at who's joining Um, (laughs) say that um where did it begin I think I always knew I was attracted to women but because of my uh involvement of uh, being in church um my mom's a Christian I was raised as a Christian um I never not only that but also my dad's side of the family are Jamaican I've been raised in a Caribbean household um so there was never any anyone to talk to about my attraction to women I kind of always would like 
look at women on, in music videos and on TV and I'd be like, I'd get a bit more excited that you put, than you probably should. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never acknowledged it. I always kind of suppressed it. Um, and then when I was 20 years old, I was in a relationship with a man. Um, and this is probably following a few toxic relationships with men or situationships, if you like. And mm-hmm. this situationship, that's a very good one. I've never yeah, heard that. I've heard that. That's great. I'll send you like a little um, A to Z of like English phrases. I've been in a lot of situationships, <laughs> man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I was in a relationship with a man and we did like met online. Um, I hadn't had a boyfriend for three years, so it was kind of like a big deal for me. And I wouldn't, I guess I was kind of like into online dating at the time. Cause like I said, dating in Southampton was quite difficult in terms of just finding like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of online dating at the time I was at university and I met this guy and we got into a relationship really early, like within the first month. And after a month of being together, he cheated on me. Oh, my God. And not only did he cheat on me, he gave me chlamydia. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck. Once. So it was it was a devastating moment. That's not a good gift. Yeah, I hadn't had obviously been in a relationship for three years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was heartbroken. I mean, I locked myself in my room for two weeks um someone's put dogs yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i was in my room for two weeks binge watch five seasons of game of thrones and luckily i had some really supportive friends who helped me through it but during that two weeks i think i kind of realized like okay you've always been attracted to women if you think back to i mean i remember in year seven i really fancied my best friend so I made up this false profile online of a guy and like catfish. Really? Like, yeah. I was oh like, my God. Writing in a maths book, notes to her, pretending to be this guy. I think I called him Kai. And, uh, and does she know this now? She knew, Yeah, she found out not too long. I could only keep it up for so long. But um, was she also talking to you about talking to this guy? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That was That's so complicated. 11. Yeah, it was in year seven. So I was about 11. She found out about six months in. Um, and then I actually moved schools. Oh, so fuck. that was probably my first incident. And then I was just kind of like, as I was kind of deciding, like, hmm, I think I really need to consider actually pursuing women um all of these things were kind of like coming up as like flashbacks like oh that time yeah I think I actually got moist watching that JLo video maybe because some door in your head opened and all these memories yeah oh now I get it now I get it exactly so from there um like I said I was online dating at the time so I switched my preference on plenty of fish puff um from male to female and then that was it um I met my first girlfriend and then for the last five years up until like last July um I'd only been in relationships with women so I think um a switch flipped for me at that time but it was still very difficult because so I met her when I was 20 and I didn't actually come out to my parents till I was 21 and 
when I was with her, I lied to her about being with a woman before. I hadn't. I had absolutely no idea. I hadn't even... I think I'd only, like, dry-humped my best friend's little sister, and I was, like, really young. I was, like, six or seven. So apart from that, I'd had no experience with women at all. So I just kind of blagged it. Um, and she was kind of like, oh, if you've dated men, like, that's disgusting. She would, like, put me down for having been with men in the past. Really? yeah so so toxic it really was and when we when we broke up I remember I had just handed in my dissertation for university and I said to myself when I turn 21 and I finish university I'm going to come out to my parents because I felt like it was going to be a huge issue and you know, I had to be set to be independent just in case the worst happened and they disowned me. Um, wow, that's that's so that you had to keep that in the back of your mind is sad. Yeah, really. I think it was mainly because my mom is so religious and st so grounded in church. And then my dad's side is Jamaican and, um, you know, Jamaican people obviously have a long-lasting history of a homophobic transphobic nature so i was just like terrified no one in the family was gay um i had a few gay friends at that point actually but i hadn't really spoken to them fully about the whole coming out process in depth um mm -hmm. because they kind of always known or known from an earlier age than me that they were gay so I committed to coming out when I finished uni, even though me and my girlfriend at the time had broken up. Um, I was like, I'm still doing it. So mm -hmm. I, I was at my mum's house. I was upset because we me and my ex had broken up a couple of days before. But oh, I man. fine on it and I'd kind of waited Emotions for Emotions to... Yeah, so I was like, right, it's now or never. So first I sat my mum down and... Um, also, I got to add, actually, because my girlfriend was so biphobic, I was like, well, I'm gay. I've, I'm, I'm now with women and, and that's it. I'm gay. So I came out to my parents as gay. Um, I sat my mum down and I was just like, mum, you know, I'd now realised that I, I have an attraction to women and I've, I've had a girlfriend and I'm, I'm definitely gay. And she said to me, um, well, you know, Tia, um, sin is sin. And it's just the same as if you were to tell me you're a prostitute or a drug dealer. That comparison is so shocking to me. It just... Yeah. I mean, I've got to add, my parents were amazing. Love them very much. And I think the context she was looking at it was that what I was doing wasn't God's will. And I think in her head, that comparison made sense. But what I heard was that you're, you're just as bad as a criminal. Yeah. And it made me feel like, you know, I was breaking the law. It was illegal. And, and yeah, but we've, we've since then unpacked that <laughs> and have an understanding. Um, immediately after, my cousin, who had known for a few months, I think he'd known for about a year, um, I kind of called him and I was like, I've, I've finally come out to mum, can you pick me up and take me to dad's? Now, um, my cousin had made some brownies because he had a friend who had leukaemia and um, there were wee brownies. And I didn't realise. <laughs> so 
I was like, oh, can I have one of these? They were like in a in a proper like plastic container as if it had come from like the supermarket. Oh, so <laughs> no brownies, and I'm standing on the platform because my dad um, trained to get to my dad's house. I'm standing on the platform, and it hits me. And as it hits, <laughs> bird shits on me. Honestly, I cannot make this up. A bird shits on me, and it like catches my sleeve. And I'm just like, I'm high. And he's like, oh shit, yeah, like the brownies, they had weed and shit. I'm sorry. Oh I'm my just... God, how do you forget to mention that? Oh my God. So I'm sat on the train on the, on the way to my dad's. Luckily, my stepmom knew about my, my situation. So I kind of texted her and I was like, look, I'm coming. I didn't tell her I was going to come out, but I was like, look, I'm coming home. Can you just come grab me? Like it's an emergency. So she grabbed me. I kind of told her I'd come out to mom and I had to come out to my dad because I kind of just thought, my mom's going to call my dad and they're going to talk and I want to be the one to say it. Of course, yeah. I get there and I kind of say, Dad, look, I've got something, you know, I need to talk to you. And he was kind of like a bit in a mood because I was late, but obviously I'd had a long conversation with my mom. So that was why. And he was yeah. like, what? That you're pregnant and I was like no and he was like about what that you're gay and I was like um yeah <laughs> um and baked yeah. and gay <laughs> well yeah he kind of just said you know I can't really keep up you know had a boyfriend not too long ago and um if you still feel the same way in a year then I'll accept it um and for me I think I was really happy with the outcome. I mean, at the time. Well, obviously, if the first reaction from your mom was, well, you're on the same level as... Yeah, but even though my mom said what she said, she ended it with, at the end of the day, you're my firstborn and I will always love you. And I think that... That's so important. For me, even though I was absolutely furious that she compared me to a criminal... Um, it made me understand that, okay, I now just need to educate her as we move through this because she's not saying, oh my gosh, you're no, no longer my daughter, I disown you. She was still accepting the fact that she had love for me and, and that was never going to change. So, um, and my mom had suspected for months. I mean, she sent my dad down to university to come and stay with me. She came to stay with me. She knew something was going on, but I think she just didn't know what. She she has this crazy discernment. Of Is she the... psychic by any chance? Well... <laughs> <laughs> she might just. It's questionable. But yeah, so I mean, that was how I came out um, the first time. And then about... So I had another relationship after that, which was horrifically messy. Um, my first girlfriend and my second girlfriend had the same girlfriend before me. So I kind oh, that's of... messy. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to deal with the same trauma. So it was like deja vu. Um, so that wasn't great. And, I and think... the drama continues. Exactly. And that put me off to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to... Um, go back with an old flame. So there was a guy who I've been on and off with, not in a relationship, but on and off situationship. <laughs> right. There's another story about him that isn't out yet, but yeah. Um, and... Here we are on the slut show <laughs> revealing it all. <laughs> um, I just, he to me, he felt safe and 
we weren't in a relationship but I immediately like at the time I was kind of a person who when I go for a breakup I fuck it out that was just how I dealt with it um and (laughs) (laughs) yeah in the in the car for for those listening the podcast later on someone is uh, saying lesbian incest yep I've been there (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so I lost my train of thought. Yeah, so going back to men felt like a safe place for me, um, especially out of that lesbian, ancestral, dramatic situation that I was in. Um, but then I kind of realised, actually, no, like, I like men too. Um, but then I went through a phase of, okay, I'll just use men for sex. I don't want any emotional connection to them because of that guy who kind of pushed me to date women was that your first real heartbreak um it definitely wasn't my first but it was just a shock because I kind of been single for three years and then was kind of really hopeful that this relationship was going to work and a month in not only does he cheat but he gives me chlamydia that I've like my own first and only STI I've ever had um, I think I was pretty devastated because I just kind of discovered um, rabbits, and I had to, <laughs> I had to throw all my toys away. <laughs> but, oh my god! Yeah, I was just. I think I kind of realised that okay, I do still like men. I'm still attracted to men, but I'll never be in a relationship with them because I just don't trust them. And then coming out of my recent relationship, which was with a woman, which was also very messy um long story short she kind of got with someone that I knew immediately after and kind of a little bit whilst we were still together emotionally not physically not okay um and then I've now gone through a bit of a phase where I feel like okay men are trash but women are trash humans are imperfect and I shouldn't categorize you know how much I give to a man or how much I give to a woman I'm attracted to both and if it turns out that I I do end up marrying a man um then I need to accept that because I can't just put them in a in a little box just because one incident you know do you think that the the reason why you felt like that for so long also is connected to um the the very biphobic um attitude your your first girlfriend had towards your past having been with men yeah i think so um and i mean we've been in contact over the years and she'll always still say even now like oh so are you bi or and it's kind of like why does it matter we shared two years together you know mm-hmm. it my sexuality doesn't define me um you're more I, than your sexuality or your gender yeah. or the color of your skin or anything yeah and i think for me it's been a real struggle to actually um accept that i am bisexual like i'll always say i'm queer but i'm technically bi if you want to mm-hmm. put a label on it because I feel like I went through so much coming out to my parents like keeping it quiet for 10 months and then coming out and and I haven't even really I think I've told my dad I don't think I've told my mum but I didn't do that again when I realized I was bi I didn't have the whole 
coming out situation because I just thought well you know I don't want to tell them because I don't want them to get their hopes up and think oh there's there's hope that she still will marry a man but then I also don't want to be deemed as confused or fucked up or you know because I'm still me at the end of the mm-hmm. day or bed um so yeah I think I've struggled with it a lot but I'm, I've now come to terms with it but it's taken nearly five years for me to get to that point I think that um a lot of maybe younger younger uh, people watching um can get inspiration from your story in that sense that um I think we are all um in in puberty and stuff we are all super insecure and as soon as we grow through that and discover our sexuality and our uh, genders and our bodies um growing into your skin and growing into confidence is a road a huge one and it's rocky um what is something that you would like to have said to your younger self if you could have been like okay girlfriend this and you will you know (laughs) (laughs) so much i think the main thing would be is don't please other people don't do things to serve other people to please other people because you think it'll be an easier situation for that person um and always put yourself first um i did kind of go through a rebellious stage uh when i was 13 probably till about 17 um but it was kind of like stupid things when i could have just actually said you know what this is how i'm feeling rather than do something ridiculous just to get attention and then say nothing what Uh, were the things you did i'm very curious god (laughs) <laughs> but there's no family watching this so i would like obviously i told you catfish for a little bit so i would mm-hmm. like use every phone in sight i would use my grandma's house phone my godmother's house phone mobile phones to like make calls and and talk all night that was like the early years and then in the later years it was just boys sneaking boys in calling my mum, checking what time she's going to be home from work getting boys in sneaking them out um sneaking out the house to like go and party (laughs) i think i the one time i did that i actually snuck out um i was grounded i snuck out to go to a family party but it was the first time i smoked weed um (laughs) um and the next morning i got baptized (laughs) he stood at the pulpit my eyes were bloodshot red because I was hung over. I think everyone thought, oh, you know, she's so she's so emotional because <laughs> doing this thing and it's like a coming of age thing where I was in the church, I was kind of like 14, 15. But no, I was hung over. I'd had two hours sleep. I'd smoked oh weed for the first time and I was on the biggest come down ever. And yeah, the baptism, I guess, was was... I don't know. <laughs> something. That was something. Um, How much do you remember of that? I remember it all, but I just remember in... Painful. Because like, I was crying. Because so basically, when I got baptised, they say, ah, oh, we want you to write like a little testimony about your experience. <laughs> I can't remember what I said. But I must have been talking about, you know, my mum's always told me this, and my mum's always told me that. Because for me, religion was something that 
my mum said that we did and we did it and and the rest of my my family my dad's side not so much but my grandmother on both sides are religious so it was just something we did um so I think I just was like yeah you know my mum this my mum that and thanked everyone for being there and and I was just crying because I was like I'm so hungover like (laughs) I don't know this feeling like obviously I the joint but I didn't know what the effects would be right the tears came naturally yeah I was kind of (laughs) over that (laughs) having to say this at the pulpit and then get baptized and I think I definitely needed some cleansing because um yeah that was a wild time you sure as hell did (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I mean to answer your question I would just say to my younger self be true to yourself don't be afraid to be yourself and and try and avoid people pleasing at all costs because you're the only one who's gonna get hurt at the end of the day um so yeah totally I feel like that's something I I only realized that that only came through I realized it before but it clicked a little while back for me that I was like ah I'm doing this for other people yeah I'm stopping that right now and then the slut show was born very shortly after that and um I tried to also pursue my passions more so I feel you in that sense and I think that um what is what is something that you um were very very insecure about back in the days or maybe not very very but um what are you now that you are now confident about and how did that change for you um i think being myself uh when i grew up when i was growing up rather i had a lot of issues with my identity um as i said my my primary school there wasn't many i was there was like i was the only black girl there were two mixed race girls and there was a black boy and then my first secondary school which i wasn't there for very long doesn't really count but my where i did the majority of my secondary school so i'd say from like 12 all the way to 18 it was majority white and i think because i kind of been to one secondary school and then gone to another when i went to second school I kind of wanted to fit in I wanted everyone to accept me so I started smoking um I'd always my mom would never like let me play out after school or like hang out after school so I always wanted to do that I would always straighten my hair because I wanted excuse me I wanted to fit in I would almost kind of like become a chameleon in every setting that I was in. So I had like my school friends and then I had my out of school friends and then I had my church friends and family. And then I had like an extended church family that was like in London Mm -hmm. as well. And for each group, I would be different. Um, And then on top of that, my parents were divorced. So uh, from, from when I was about six years old, um so I would be like one way with my dad and then I'll be another way with my mom and I was just never I I don't think I knew myself at all because I was always conforming to what I thought was what people wanted from me in Mm -hmm. each situation um so that was that was quite difficult in terms of I was, because of that, I was never true to myself. So I think because I was never myself, I was always kind of on the fence and people saw that as like a weakness or not authentic. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I guess that made me insecure about how I looked. Like I didn't have a boyfriend or um, I was very insecure about my eyebrows. I had really thick eyebrows, like a, but it was like a monobrow because my mum would not let me get them done. I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to shave. Um, I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. My dad like actually invested <laughs> in skincare to wipe my makeup off because I was trying to do like full face at like 13 he was just like no um and I think um, but till what age was that restriction because I can imagine if you're 11 but I'd say probably up until 18 he really wear heavy makeup yeah but I think again it was kind of like a culture thing like because so I've always been voluptuous I've always been big I've always been out of a group um even when I was like a size 12, 14, 16, I was still the biggest out of everyone who was there. Um, so because of that, I always looked older than my age. And because I was an only child for quite, till I was about 13, I would always try and like involve myself in adult situations. I had sex really young. I, I always wanted to be older. And I think my parents saw that. So they wanted to preserve my childhood as much and as protect you from that what eventually happened exactly um but i think in that sheltering it just made me rebel even more like everything that they would put in i would break it down and it was kind every of... restriction at a certain point you're just like okay i'm gonna fuck that over that that and that yeah for sure but Having said that, I'd probably say the biggest thing was, yeah, just knowing who I was. I was very insecure as a person um, in terms of caring what other people think. Mm -hmm. um, only on certain topics, though, because I've kind of always advocated for black history and, and equality and things like that, even from as early as, like, 16. Um, my weight is probably something, the biggest thing that I've always been really, really insecure about. Um like I said, I've always been the biggest person. Like, even in my pictures in primary school, like, I'm the fat kid. <laughs> mm -hmm. For those who, who don't know, when whenever I do anything slut show related, I always have a conversation with whoever is going to be on the show prior to actually airing it, shooting it on location, uh, doing a live stream and stuff like that. And um, one of the things that you told me that really struck me is that you also, you have a degree in fashion journalism and... Um, well, I can better ask you to tell the story. Uh, how how did that, because you studied it and then you entered the working industry, let me put it like that. Yeah, um, I guess I chose writing fashion and culture because fashion was something for me, again, because of my weight, was very, very difficult in terms of finding clothes to wear, um, being like 10 or 12 and my mom having to buy like adult sizes and like talking to everyone about it and it was always a topic of conversation my way I mean to an extent sometimes it still is um but I think fashion was a release because I kind of had my own style and I, I was forced to create my own style because I was plus size and back then plus size was not inclusive in anything how do you feel like that is now? Has it changed in your opinion? Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, the fact that I can like buy clothes and get it to my house the next day and that I can buy clothes in my size is great. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that it's perfect, 
Um, I still feel like there's a long way to go in terms of accessibility. Um, Like if I were to go in the high street and I needed needed an outfit tomorrow and I couldn't get it online and I had to go um, and shop somewhere, I would probably find it a bit difficult to find something that I would want to wear. Not Mm -hmm. that find anything to wear but something that's desirable that I think would look good. Um, And that's why I studied fashion because I wanted to be the first black fat um online vogue presenter that was the goal when i first went into fashion <laughs> you so have the potential to do it though 100 yeah. when i studied it um because it was right in fashion and culture so we did do a lot of news journalism multimedia journalism and i think i did music journalism as well as one of my options we did style and we did presenting but a lot of it was around theory um and critical analysis and i think studying that um not really having my head in it in its fullest because i kind of parted a lot uh, and i was just very happy to be away from home um and then going to do like work experience at, like london fashion week it kind of put me off because as i looked around my lecture and didn't see anyone that looked like me went to London Fashion Week and did internships didn't see anyone that looked like me at the time plus size bloggers were like just just kind of taking one percent but there was no one black at the time I think who was someone that was fat that I looked up to I couldn't even tell you there was no one like current and Mm -hmm. black and fat and out there in the fashion industry I kind of used to like look up to like Queen Latifah and people like that but in terms of like someone that I could relate to at the point and reference while I was studying Mm -hmm. it was really really difficult um so yeah I mean I ended up writing up my final dissertation on the lack of diversity on the high street for plus size women and I think that gave me even more insight, actually, because I did a lot of research and spoke to some influencers. And by that time, I'd been at uni for four years. So the world of blogging and influencers was kind of just taken off. Um, but yeah, I think for me, I didn't actually want to go to uni. <laughs> I wanted to sing full time, but my parents were like, no, you've got to get a degree. Do it! So it was kind of, I was good at, I was good at writing and I was interested in fashion. So that's how it kind of happened. And I was desperate to leave home. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I kind of picked the furthest place and went there. (laughs) I can very much so relate with you on that. I I didn't want to go to college. I'm in college now. I didn't want to do it at all. I was like, no, I'm going to do modeling. I'm going to move to Amsterdam. I'm going to do modeling. I'm going to be international right away. It's going to be fantastic. I'm never going to be looking back. I'm very glad I quit modeling because it's a yeah. shit show. Um, it ended me up with trigger warning and regs. Yeah, I luckily survived that. And now I'm doing the things that I love doing um, without having to fit to certain things. So as sad as it is that you could not pursue your dream because of not being represented and not being taken seriously, can I put, put it like that? Mm. I think so. But also I think, as I said earlier, I had gender, I had not gender identity, sorry, I had, well, kind of, and let me rephrase, I did have some gender identity issues, um, just because of 
from a fashion perspective, my early teens, I was a tomboy through and through. And I don't know whether it was church, but for me, when I was, when I did go to church, I'd have to dress a certain way. And mm. a way that was acceptable was feminine. It was like wearing little heels and skirts and things like that. But I was very close to my dad and he was very into basketball culture and tracksuits and he's quite a fashionable guy. So I kind of had that conflict from there. Mm -hmm. Then obviously my weight and being bigger was another thing. But then also, again, I went to uni because my parents wanted me to. And that's the honest truth. And I say it to them to this day and I don't regret it at all. Um, I definitely feel like once you get your degree, whether you need it or not, once you get it, that's a medal that no one can take away from you. Absolutely. Um, but it, I wouldn't say that it was my choice. I'd say that I definitely did it to please them or because I thought like I had I had no choice. I mean, my mom's not from this country. She, she came from Trinidad. And I think any second generation child feels like they have an obligation to their parents because they've risked so much and done so much to come to this country to give us a better life um and i definitely felt feel like all of those things played a part um so and, and then obviously when i finally get there i'm here it's my you know i've i've kind of convinced myself that this is my dream and this is what I want to pursue I want to be a fashion journalist and I'm going to be the best because I'm fat and I'm black and there's mm -hmm. no way doing it right now when I get there it's not what I expected um at all yeah and I mean I'm a Pisces I'm the biggest dreamer <laughs> you can imagine as, as a child as a teenager you know, I did think everything was perfect and I did think, you know, it would be exactly how I imagined it in my head. So when it wasn't, it was definitely a reality check, but I have absolutely no regrets. Um, I'm actually going to be leaving Southampton very soon, uh, end of March, to ride out the rest of the pandemic with my family. Um, okay. Yeah, but yeah, there you go. Um, and I've been reflecting a lot about the time that I've been here. I've been here eight and a half years. And yeah, it's been great. I've grown. I've become the woman that I am here. Um, I've spent most of my adult, well, all of my adult life here. So mm -hmm. no regrets. Are you excited to spend the, well, obviously not the pandemic, but are you excited to spend it with your family? Yeah, I'm super excited to be at home I feel like I've missed out on a lot in the last like eight and a half years um I have a younger brother who is 13 so it'll be really nice to be close to him and that's great my grandparents and I'm excited um because a lot of my music that I've written are well all of it has been from experiences here mm -hmm. so I'm very excited to see um what being at home brings out of me uh, from an inspiration perspective so yeah and that's gonna be interesting for sure when did you um did you start writing songs and uh writing about your experiences when you moved to southampton started writing songs so there was one song i wrote when i was about 13 um i have like my my dad's cousin i think he's a producer like he likes to produce stuff as a hobby mm -hmm. And he sent my dad, it was like a dance track, I think. Okay. Um, 
Ed has been, always been the person who's really pushed me singing. I mean, even now, he'll hear a song and he'll be like, right, you've got five minutes, I'm going to have this. <laughs> and then after that five minutes, I want you to sing this song. <laughs> He's always been like that. I mean, I'm going to expose myself now, but I have my very early years of singing on YouTube. Oh, I want to see this. <laughs> I'm going to let you folks explore and try and find it. That will happen. <laughs> but all those filmed and directed by my dad. Um, he came with me to my first X Factor audition. He came with me to my voice audition. You... Been... Oh my God, you auditioned for all these shows. I was very young and, and not ready at all. Um, but yeah, he's always been my cheerleader. Um, so I have to give it to him. But um, oh, I'm so looking this up. <laughs> right after this <laughs> um what was the question sorry i've gone off track i've got um when did you start songwriting yes so yeah so my cousin Arnal sent this dance track and i wrote to it and i think it was terrible but <laughs> i wrote to it anyway and then i didn't write i used to like jot things down i've actually got all of my songbooks out last weekend um because I'm planning on like writing a new project and I wanted to have all of the songs I've ever mm -hmm. written. So I would probably say the first time I wrote a full song. In fact, it wasn't even a full song. It was um, it was the beginning of Dogs. That was the first proper song that I wrote. Um, I think it was back in like 2012. And I ended up finishing it in 2018 and recording it in 2018. Sometimes it takes that time. Yeah. And also, so I've sung for a long time. I think my first solo was when I was in in um, infant school. I sung wow. in the nativity play. Uh, it was in front of like a thousand people. My mom, oh, mom remembers some of the words and the melody of the song that I sung. <laughs> Um, so that was my first ever solo and then I had a music teacher in primary school called Mrs Johnson who used to make me sing um, like Bette Midler, I think I sung a little bit of Whitney so then I had that experience and then going into in church I was in like the youth choir and then I went to the adult choir and then just before I moved to Southampton, so I was about 17, um, I had like a spell where a lot of my grandmother's relatives kind of just passing away, just randomly. Some of them of old age, some of them of illnesses. And I somehow got put forward to be the funeral singer. Oh, God. I sung at about, I would probably say about 50 funerals within a three year, maybe even more than that, within a three year span that I'd met distant family members that I didn't know before. So then I would start doing like christenings and I did wow. like, so I was kind of like the black occasion singer before, <laughs> before I moved to Southampton. So that... I don't know if funerals are the, the, the place <laughs> to want to be. Well, the thing is with Caribbean funerals and I'm sure probably African is the same. It's definitely more of a celebration. Um, so huge cultural difference yeah you'll have like the church um you'll have the church bit and then you'll have the burial where they'll they'll sing a cappella um and we fill our own graves 
so that the undertakers will empty the grave and they'll leave the dirt and all the men sometimes the women will fill the grave will take it in turns and fill the grave and as you're filling the grave um you've got like a choir of like church sisters singing wow or uh, music a cappella. and then after that you have like the food most of the time a dj full caribbean spread everyone gets drunk people are dancing <laughs> a lot of you end up meeting like a lot of distant family members and just connecting with people that you may not have even met before but you're actually related twice removed and all of that so i say that to say when i was doing these funerals i would get paid in basically like food and rum <laughs> <laughs> in food and rum i love it but it built immense confidence in me because obviously singing to and these funerals are big they're like if someone who's not really that well liked you'll have like 300 400 people going because they know there's but that's like a big event yeah 100 percent. i mean my granddad's funeral is about 10 years ago now that was the first one i did actually and i think from there it kind of stemmed um that was about 700 people that turned out in the end um so yeah it's like a big thing so imagine singing to like four to six hundred sad faces you're gonna build a kind of resilience um from that so that was kind of where I gained a lot of confidence as well as singing in church. I led worship, so I was like leading the congregation. Um, again, people looking at you. Um, it, it's not really performing either, but you just kind of gain like confidence from that. Um, and then I would say when I hit university, there were a lot of open mics, like the music scene is amazing in Southampton. There's so many incredible musicians. Um, like so many you would not believe um, so yeah I just started doing like loads of open mics but 2018 is the year where I really started taking it seriously I was going to like every single open mic I even had like had a little band Megan who's in the comments right there she is an amazing singer and my very good friend so she would like come and do backing vocals for me that's cool like local artists and stuff um so yeah from there i'd say from when i wrote that first song in 2012 i carried on writing but in terms of taking music seriously and actually not just writing recording it and mm -hmm. making it something tangible that happened in 2018 but it was a definitely a long time coming <laughs> <laughs> but it's good because it gave you the life experience and the time to write your songs and it's insane how much how many places you performed uh this so yeah that's awesome it's good to hear and um oh my god funerals within that culture mm. are not in comparison to anything i have ever witnessed yeah at all this is things i've seen in movies <laughs> that's it <laughs> um but it's definitely a way to go Hundred percent, hundred percent. Going out with a bang. I mean, doesn't everyone eventually want people to be happy rather than cry their eyes out? Exactly, and and like I said, it's a celebration of life. Like, we'll print pe people's faces on T-shirts. We'll all wear like their favorite color. Um, and I know it's just every culture has their own way of of dealing with it, but it's definitely. 
something that reflects us as a people um and also like as i said it's a celebration of life rather than um grief obviously there is grief but you try and keep it positive that's awesome um i i need to check my battery once i don't know if it's gonna pause i'm gonna try we're back we're back i I have batteries still. Okay, good. I don't want it to drop what? out all of a sudden. Come on, sis. You can, like, I'll show you after. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. <laughs> um, I have been bluffing my way through two entire seasons of The Slut Show, so um, <laughs> I am not technical whatsoever. Oh, I can show the setup here, so I have a little whip hanging there. <laughs> And then I have all of my uh, lights that I used to record. So I'm like very well lit. <laughs> I'm really devastated that I can't be there because Amsterdam is one of my favorite places ever. It was the first place I went abroad by myself as an adult. As soon as this whole Corona shit show is gonna calm the fuck down yeah you are more than invited and that is also one of the reasons quite obviously why i decided to head over to instead of shooting episodes on location here in amsterdam uh mm. to doing live streams and um i am <laughs> megan is coming with you <laughs> yeah. i am so thankful to have had you on this first live stream and um i'm very glad that we could have this conversation um I really hope you guys at home enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning in for this week's uh, episode of the Live Slut Show. Next week, I am back, same place, same time. And I will be joined by my dear friend, Kiara. Uh, she is from Control Art Delete. If you like this episode, then I am 100% sure that you will love season one and season two just as much. So head over to youtube.com slash by Ellen Moore or listen to the Slut Show on your favorite podcast platform. If you want to support The Slut Show, head over to my Patreon page. Follow the both of us on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Thank you at home for watching. And for now, slut's out. Slut's out. <laughs>